Well, this morning we are definitely going to continue in our series called The Prodigal God, and the title of my sermon is called The True Elder Brother. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we would just ask today that you would would be blessed and glorified in all that's said and done, that you would, first of all, forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak to your people. And we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Pastor John preached a magnificent sermon. And I want to just bring out a couple of things that he said to catch us up to speed where we are today. Number one. He, first of all, last week, he defined the word prodigal for us. I thought that was really, really important. I don't know about you, but when I first heard the title of our series, The Prodigal God, that threw me a curveball. I started thinking to myself, what are we trying to say? Are we trying to say that God got off the reservation? (laughs) That somehow he's gone astray, he's rebelling against himself? Is that what we're trying to say? And Pastor John very eloquently last week told us, no, no, that is not That is not what we're trying to say at all. And then he defined the word prodigal for us. He said that sometimes, most of the time, when we look at or hear that word prodigal, we think of wayward. Because we think of the prodigal son who rebelled against the father and went his own way. But he said, but that's not the meaning of the word. That's not what the word prodigal means. And then he said this. The definition is recklessly extravagant, recklessly extravagant. Once you understand the term, then you begin to understand in the story, there are two prodigals. Yes, the son went astray, but what did he do? He took his inheritance and he recklessly, extravagantly blew it. He blew all his money and he ended up poor, slopping pigs. Realized how lost he was Repented and went home, and when he got to the home, we meet the second prodigal, the father. The father is representing God in heaven, the heavenly father. And how does he respond to the son who comes home? He recklessly, extravagantly extends his grace to the son, takes him in, forgives him, loves him, and brings him in part of the family, throws a huge party for him. So first of all, we see the father extravagantly showing grace to the first son. So we have the two prodigals. But then, Pastor John last week told us that there were two lost brothers, two lost sons. We know about the first, but the second one, he went on to talk to us about in verses 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29, talked about how that brother, the older brother, the elder brother, absolutely disrespected his father, rebelled against him, resented him, Because once he heard that his father had thrown a party for his brother, he refused to go into the party. And that was a disgrace to the community as well as to his father. So what did the father do? He leaves the party, goes out to his elder son, and he pleads with him. Here again we see the heavenly father extending extravagant grace to the older son. Saying to him, I love you. I want you to come into the party. And the party we know is a representation of heaven. The celebration. 
that what was lost is found, that we're all going to have it. He's saying, come in, and he's absolutely extending this grace to the older son. So Pastor John, last week, very magnificently explained to us the two prodigals and the two lost sons. But also what he was doing was showing us a picture of the grace of God. It's a wonderful picture of the grace of God. We serve a God who receives those who don't deserve to be received. He loves those who don't deserve to be loved. He accepts those who don't deserve to be accepted. And what we find in this wonderful parable is this, that God desires that no one would be lost. That the grace of God desires that no one would be lost. And we know the end of the story, Jesus came as the fullness of the grace of God so that no one needs to be lost. That they all could be found. So there it is. There's the picture that's been drawn for us. So then, now, today, we're going to continue to look at the elder son, the older son. And we're going to ask this question. Is he a true brother? Is he really a true brother? And if he is not the true elder brother, then who is? (laughs) Is there one found in this story? With that being said, let's begin our verses, verses 30 and 32. Read them one more time. But when this son of yours, who who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, in order to really understand these verses, we need to bounce back to the very beginning of chapter 15. And there we find that the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus Christ is hanging around sinners. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. 1 and 2 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, they're appalled that Jesus Christ is hanging around with sinners and eating with them. And then it says that he goes on and tells a parable to the Pharisees and to these teachers of the law. He not only tells one, he tells three. And he tells them consistently, one after another. For what reason? To reach the Pharisees. You see, what we need to understand as we look at all three of these parables again today is we need to understand that the audience that he's trying to reach is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He is trying to reach them. Do I I need to remind you that these same leaders are the ones who turn Jesus over to the hands of the Roman authorities to be executed. They're the ones. And here, instead of Jesus rebuking them, He extends the extravagant grace that is found in the story to them in hopes that they might repent and be saved. Hear me. Jesus is pleading, lovingly pleading, with his deadliest enemies. When's the last time we went after our deadliest enemies and tried to win them to Christ? I mean, this is an unbelievable example, picture of the amazing grace that we sing about. God's grace, that he desires that no one would perish, 
That's his heart. No one. And he's reaching out to his deadliest enemies. Now, with that understanding, let's look at these three parables together, knowing that his audience is his enemy. You ready? First one is that we have the first parable, which is the parable of the lost sheep. You have the shepherd. He has 100 sheep. One goes astray. He leaves the 99, and he goes after the one that's lost. He's diligent. He's out trying to find that sheep. When he finally finds it, this is what he does in verse 6. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. The second parable is the lost coin. The woman in the house has three, I'm I'm sorry, ten silver coins. She loses one. She doesn't write it off at a loss. No, she diligently begins to search for that coin. In verse 8 it says this. Verse 8 it says, She lights a lamp, sweeps the whole house, searches diligently until she finds it. Verse 9. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. Now the third parable, we know very well, the two lost sons. And here, though, we see this. There are two things that are similar. There's two similarities in all three parables. But then there's one striking difference. Let's look, first of all, at those two very similar things that are found in all three parables. Number one, there's in all three, there is something that is lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Secondly, there is also a celebration. In all three parables, there's a celebration. And what are they celebrating? Something that was, was lost, and now it is found. But what is the one striking difference among those three parables? The one striking difference between the third parable and the first two is this. The first two, someone goes out and searches diligently for what was lost. In the first two, someone goes out and diligently looks, searches for what is lost. They don't allow anything to distract them. They don't allow anything to to somehow hinder them. They're on a mission. They're on a mission to find a sheep and find a coin. They're on a mission. But in the third story, we hear about the lost son, the lost brother, and based on the first two stories, we are fully prepared to expect that someone will set out to reach, reach out for him. But nobody does. And we're surprised when when we read it. Nobody goes out and looks for the brother. Nobody. And Jesus meant it to be that way. He left that out. You see, by placing those three parables closely together, he wants thoughtful listeners to ask this question. Why doesn't somebody go after the brother? We went after the sheep. We went after the coin. Why doesn't somebody go after the brother that's lost, especially the younger brother. Why doesn't someone go after and find that brother who's lost? Now, some of you have been in the military, and you know a little bit about, no, not a little bit, you know a lot about what it means when I make this statement, a band of brothers. You know what it means to be a band of brothers. There's a code. We don't leave anybody behind. Every soldier's brought back. In any way, in, in any way we can, we want to bring that one back. 
I love Tim Keller's book on the prodigal son, um, prodigal God, I should say. It's a book that we're using to guide us along in this series. But he talks about this brother. And he tells about a true story about a brother, a young man, who's a U.S. soldier. And he's missing in action in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And the family hears about the son that he's missing. So they're anxiously waiting to see if the military had found them, found him. No word. So finally, the older brother, the elder brother, he jumps a plane and he flies to Vietnam. Now hear me, this is a true story. He flies to Vietnam. He gets out of the plane. He goes into the jungle, onto the battlefield, trying to find his lost younger brother. And he comes out of that situation unharmed, despite the danger, never hurt, never touched, looking for his brother. Why? Because they heard, both sides heard about this brother, and they, request, they absolutely respected his quest and left him alone. Matter of fact, they called him the brother. Now that is a true elder brother, going out and looking, risking his life to save that one that's lost his younger brother. Why in the story does not this older brother that we're, that we're reading about, why doesn't he go back and look for his younger brother? I mean, there's no doubt about it that he's been watching his father in the story, and his father is very anxious, very much concerned about his lost son. And he could have easily said to his father, Father, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to go look for our younger brother, and I'm going to find him, and then I'm going to bring him home. But he never does it. You know, the, the Scriptures has a lot to say to us about how we're to love one another, how we're to love our brother. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21 says this, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. 1 John chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions in truth. If this is what love does, if this, if this is what a true brother is supposed to do, why didn't he do it? Why didn't the elder brother go after his younger brother? Well, in our passage, it tells us, it gives us the answer. Look, look with me at verse 30. Verse 30 says this, but 
When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. Look at those first words. But when this son of yours, wow, he's not even willing to identify with his brother. He's definitely taken his brother and thrown him under the bus. He's thrown him to the curb for sure. He wants nothing to do with this guy. To him, he's like, he's dead. He's your son. He's not my brother. He wants nothing to do with him. So the love of God is not in this brother. This so-called, as we learned last week, this righteous brother who says in verses 25, 27, 28, and 29, and he says this one statement, he says to the father when he's ticked off at his dad, when he's resenting his father, he's angry, disgracing him, he says this, I've never disobeyed you. He's making the statement that I've never sinned, but in just a few seconds, he's totally disobeyed the two great commandments. To love your God in the representation in the parable, the father is God the father. He's totally crashed that one. And number two, love your neighbor. He's not loving his brother. So he's as lost as his younger brother. Now the question to us today is this. Now I want to, before I ask you the question, let me, let me say this. Do you understand now, let's remember now, who the audience is. Remember the audience? It's the Pharisees. And Jesus is trying to reach out to them, trying to help them to understand, you're the elder brother. And you're complaining that I'm hanging around with sinners. The sinners are your brothers. And instead of you going out and reaching out to find them, that they're lost, doing everything you can to bring them back into the fold, you stand in judgment of them. You stand in judgment of them, and then you slap each other in the back, thanking God that you're not like them. And he's trying to say to them, you are just as lost as the younger brother. You're just as lost as them. And what he's trying to say to them, he's saying, who is going to be the true brother? Who is it? And he leaves it out in the story. He just ends it. He goes on and talks about, you know, this and that, and, and he was lost and now he's found. He never brings it in. He brings it into the first two, but he never brings it to the third. You know why? He's trying to reach, isn't this amazing? He, he desires that no one would perish. He's trying to reach the Pharisees in hopes that they might see, oh, oh, wait a minute. There needs to be a hero. There needs to be somebody who's the Savior who steps in, and they recognize that it's Jesus Christ. Who is the elder brother? It's the one who's telling the story. It is the true elder brother is Jesus himself. And he's hoping that they'll see that he is the Messiah. He is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Look what happens over in Luke chapter 19.10. He finally says it, and they're standing right there in the midst of him when he says it. He finally says, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. Let me ask us a question. Who are we? What brother are we in the story? Are we the younger brother that has gone astray and needs to come home? If that's you, I hopefully you've heard this great story of of the amazing grace that God has for you. Maybe you're like the elder brother. 
and you're just on the treadmill of religion and your heart has grown cold and you don't care about the lostness of your brothers. You could care less. Or maybe, hopefully, we're all more like the true elder brother. We're like Jesus Christ. We're doing everything we can to reach those around us who are lost. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said in John chapter 20, 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. And then as he ascended onto the right hand of the Father, before he did, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's coming. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. We know that the Bible teaches that God sent his son, then he sent his spirit, and now he sends the church. What's amazing to me is that generation, the people of that generation, those disciples went out, and they were the true elder brothers to those who were around them. They went to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. And now the gospel has been passed from one generation to another to us. And now it's our turn in our generation to be the true elder brother because there's people all around us that are lost. You know it. I know it. But the question is, are we doing everything we can with our time, our talents, and our treasures to really truly reach those who are lost around us? That is a great question, isn't it? Are we really about the mission of God? In our generation. You know, to do that, the first thing you need to do, if you really mean it, if you're sitting there saying, man, I'm not. They're neighbors, there's people I know, friends, my own family. I know there are people I'm not, I've gotten distracted. I'm not on task. I'm not focused. I'm more concerned about what's going on in my life. I've forgotten. I've, I've lost track. I, I don't see that mission all the time. But you're sitting there saying, man, I do not want to be like the elder brother. I want to be about God's business. I want to join hand to hand so that no one's left behind. I want that. And if that's you, that's what you desire. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to make a list. I'll make a list of somebody. Who is it that you need to be reaching? Write their names down. Then pray for them. Then make a decision that you are going to live your life as, an, as a living advertisement for Jesus Christ that you're going to communicate and demonstrate the love of God to those people so when they ask you for the reason of your hope, you're ready to tell them. You're going to go about your business, yes, but you're going to do everything to, to be the representation of Jesus Christ to the people around you. That's a decision that you've got to make every day, every moment, every time you get up to go to work, go to school, wherever you are in your neighborhood, whoever you're going to meet, whatever holiday you show up at, you've got to make that decision that I am going to be the true brother to the people around me, that I am not going to leave anybody behind because that's the mission that Jesus Christ has given to me. That's a decision that you have to make every day. It just doesn't happen. But if we're truly filled with the Spirit of God, if we truly love God and love our neighbor, then we're moved by the Spirit of God, not in our own strength, but in his strength to move, to give us the confidence and the courage to be that person and share Christ with those around us. Can't do that on your own. You need the fullness of God's spirit. There's a, there's a story that's told. It's not a true story. It's a legend. It's a legend about Gabriel. And Gabriel goes before Jesus. Once Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And there he sits. 
And Gabriel comes to Jesus and says, you really suffered for mankind, didn't you, Jesus? He said, I sure did. And he said, do those people, does mankind understand how much you love them and what you've done for them? He said, no, not yet. Not everybody. He said, well, what's your plan? Well, I left Peter and James and John, and I'm trusting that they're going to go and tell their people, and their people are going to go tell others until finally that message goes all around the world. And Gabriel looked at him and gave him a frown and looked at him and said, but Jesus, you know what man did to you. I mean, don't you have another plan? I mean, I wonder if they get tired. I wonder if they get distracted. I wonder if they don't care anymore. Maybe not in the first hundred years, but how about a thousand years later? wonder if it doesn't get done. Don't you have a plan B? He said, no. There's no other plan. I'm just counting on them. You know, when you become a band of brothers, people count on you. That when they're left behind, that you'll come back and get them. Jesus, in this moment, we would ask you by your spirit that you would give us the courage, the strength, the love, the will to fulfill your mission in this generation. Oh God, there's never been a better time, not a greater time for thousands of years than right now. Lord, help us Help us to be counted among those who are seen as a true brother. Help us, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.